Hey, everybody, how you doing? And welcome to episode number 130 of the John Riley Project. This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Today is Monday, April 27th, 2020. We're broadcasting, as we always do, from the city in the country, Poway, California. And I just got to take a note before we kind of get started on this podcast. I just want to uh, take a moment. It's, this is the one-year anniversary of the terrible shooting at the Poway Chabad happened on this day, April 27th in 2019. And, um, you know, we lost one life, Lori K. Gilbert. And actually there's a street named after her right around the corner from our house um, here in Poway, right off Stone Canyon Road. Um, just a just a really important day. I mean, I've been looking online and, and just – the, the keyword Poway is just lit up through Twitter because so many people are referencing the incident that happened a year ago today. Um, but it's just interesting to see our city name in the news on a national level. It's obviously not in a positive light. You know, it's a concerning message. But, um, yeah, it just makes me think about what I was doing that day. Do you remember on that? that it was a Sunday, I think. In April 27th of 2019, or maybe it was a Saturday, um, and I was uh, I was actually out and about. I was over at this pond, uh, San Diego Pond and Garden Store, because I was trying to get some things from my backyard. And then I saw the tweet while I was at that uh, place of business, over actually right by the uh, Big Stone Lodge here in Poway, and said a shooting in, in Poway, and then you know police were rushing to the scene and. And then it all unfolded into the terrible, um, you know, crime where, gee whiz, I mean, a, a young man went in there and went in there and just shot up a, a tremendous number of innocent people, killed a person. It was obviously a crime motivated by um, bigotry, by um, anti-Semitism. Many people call it a hate crime. Um, just, just tragic. So, I think we're we all have. The incident from last year is in our memory, in our hearts. I think people are reflecting on it. And then leave it to some politicians that will use it as an opportunity for a platform. Uh, you know, our presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, actually uh, coming out with a policy on hate crimes today um, using this uh, – the Poway Habad shooting, the one-year anniversary as sort of a platform to talk about it. So that was interesting to see too. Um but, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment and reflect back on that day. It was a terrible day. And so, you know, has our community healed from that? Sort of. I mean, there's still a lot of um, open wounds, I think, that still exist. Um, but the one-year anniversary kind of gets us to reflect on it a little bit. So I just – I wanted to mention that at the start of the podcast. Um Anyways, the the title of of this podcast is is flattening our inalienable rights, and and I was going through um, all of my notes, putting it together, and I had a couple of titles made up for this episode, and then it struck me it has to be the flattening of our inalienable rights, and it, it's interesting because you know when we got into this whole COVID situation, the objective that we were told was that we need to flatten the curve. We need to slow down the rate of transmission so that our healthcare facilities are not overwhelmed. And so, you know, people that are that do get this virus, that do need medical attention, that there are resources for them. And 
you know, obviously the, the hospitals have been overwhelmed in New York and in New Jersey. But based on my understanding, you know, say here in California and other parts of the country, well, the people have been doing a pretty good job of flattening the curve. I think that objective has been met. So now suddenly it seems like the goalposts are moving. You know, are we now getting to a point where um, it, it's no longer a matter of flattening the curve to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed? Has it now become a lockdown until a vaccine can be developed so no one gets infected? So it's interesting how the objectives shift, they change, and we're kind of all sort of pawns in this game as uh, politicians and other authorities are, are really making decisions on all of this. And it's interesting now because six counties in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area just came out today, and they're extending the shelter in place all the way till the end of May. And I guess you're looking at this, this is expected. I mean, these are the counties that are probably the most liberal, the most progressive, that are going to probably be the most aggressive in, you know, really shutting down the economy uh, to a great degree. And I think what we're going to probably see is California as a state following suit. But I want to read this um, a couple of excerpts from this article in SF Gate, which is the San Francisco Chronicle. And it says, earlier Monday, San Francisco, in tandem with five other Bay Area counties, Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, San Mateo, and Santa Clara, announced extensions through May to their respective shelter-in-place orders. The guidelines released in a joint statement also mention a limited easing of specific specific restrictions for a small number of lower-risk activities, but did not specify what those activities might be. A specific end date for the extended shelter-in-place order was also not given. It was just, you know, to use air quotes, through May, which I think we're thinking is going to probably be till the very end of the month. Um, and the article goes on to say what this means, and this is a quote from actually the mayor of San Francisco. Her name's London Breed. And yeah, that's her name, London Breed. And she went on to say, what that means is another few weeks or another month of asking you all to comply, to remain at home and continue to follow the social distancing orders we've put forth. And she says, like, oh, a few weeks or maybe a month, like it's no big deal. But this is a big deal. I mean, this is greatly affecting people's lives. And then she, then the article goes on to say that um, – in, in the San Francisco area, there are currently 1,424 cases of COVID-19 with 23 fatalities. And I mean, it makes me just wonder, you know, do we have a sense of proportion here? Now, obviously, people are getting ill. Some people are losing their life. That's tragic. That's nothing to look away from. These are lives that are lost. But what we're doing with this shelter in place, what we're doing by shutting down parts of the economy, what we're doing by being told people have essential jobs or non-essential jobs, this is creating huge disruption in people's um, lifestyle, their ability to you know, really care for their own family, their ability to earn a living, their ability to really live their life on their own terms. And I sometimes wondered, are we really are we using a sledgehammer to kill a flea? You know, that's what it seems to me to be. Um, and, 
you know, the, this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I, I, I think it's important that we celebrate our inalienable rights. And that's why the podcast title is Flattening of Our Inalienable Rights, because that's what it seems like is happening. I mean, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness really are all about individual responsibility. You know, that we have the liberty to live our life on our own terms, live our life according to our own values without violating the liberty of other people, without violating the rights of other people. That means having personal responsibility for yourself so that you don't harm others. But what's happened is, is that the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness have been sort of thrown out the window um, to make way for government bureaucracy, mandates, lockdowns, and draconian enforcement. I mean, we've done our part to flatten the curve. Now it's time to really start opening up the economy. Um, and we can do it responsibly. I mean, we can we can walk and, and chew gum at the same time. I mean, there's these draconian enforcements. There are people being arrested for going to the beach and practicing social distancing, doing it in a responsible way. There are people that are being arrested. There was a guy like a few weeks ago that was paddleboarding in the ocean in Malibu by himself. The Coast Guard came in, directed him to go ashore, and then the police are there to arrest him. And they're saying, you know, he's violating all these ordinances about, you know, social distancing, et cetera. Well, he was socially distant. And the irony to this is they're going to arrest him and bring him into um, a, a local police station, maybe into a jail where he's going to be clustered with a lot of other people uh, in the exact opposite of social distancing. Um, so we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can be free. We can have our inalienable rights. We can have the liberty to open up the economy, but we can also do it in a responsible way so that we're not harming or violating the rights of others. So we're seeing some of that with, you know, people, I, I walk around wearing a mask, even though it's not mandatory, is very common practice. These are people that are taking personal responsibility. And when they go into a place of business, I, I'd say well over 90% of the people are wearing masks. That's a great thing. That's a responsible thing to do. Um, but it's just that they've gone too far. I mean, they're now making it so in in certain parts of the country, you're not allowed to buy certain products in some of these stores. You can't buy seeds. You can't buy paint. You can't buy – and this is in the state of Michigan where it's been particularly draconian. Um, it just seems – that we've gone too far and it's greatly affecting people's lives. Now, speaking for myself, I'm a small business owner. Um, I do consulting work. I do a variety of different kinds of um, marketing work for clients. I work a great deal out of my home. So for me, this hasn't been that impactful. Um, for me, I'm all sheltering in place is what I do. Um, I work from home. Um, I'm not going to my client sites and doing work like I've done in the past, um, but I'm still getting that work done from home. And, and even prior to this um, coronavirus, I did by far the vast majority of my work from my home office. So for me, it's not really that big of a, di a difference, uh, but I'm not like most people. I mean, there are people that are out of jobs. There are people that 
own businesses that have been shut down by the government. Um, people that own businesses that have seen their their company, if not shut down, have basically have one arm tied behind their back, limiting what they're able to produce. And while we are losing lives, we're also losing a tremendous other um, list of values. Uh, uh, you know, our, we're losing in many cases some of our rights as we're rolling through this shelter-in-place incident, and they just keep extending it. And you're thinking this – they're saying till the end of May, but is that really what's going to happen? I mean, if you're looking in your crystal ball, do you think it's going to be the end of May and things are going to get back to normal? I don't think so. I mean, if I'm going to be a betting man, assuming I could go to Las Vegas and make a bet, which you can't do anymore, um, I would be betting that this is going to extend much further. And again, I, I'm not diminishing the health-related issue. There, it is a health issue. It is a contagious virus. But we don't have to take – we don't have to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side to the point that it's just destroying people's lives because that's what's happening in a lot of these cases. Now, granted, there are some people that are acting more responsibly than others as we go through this, but – People are going to start snapping if they are continuously shut down. And we're starting to see that. You know, we're starting to see these protests pop up here in San Diego. They were, there were some in Encinitas. They had some down at Pacific Beach. There were some in downtown San Diego over the last couple of weeks. And these are people that in some – I mean I get what they're doing. You know, they're, they're really trying to stand up for their rights. Now, granted, I wish they did it a little more responsibly. They're not practicing social distancing. They're not wearing masks. In some cases, they're denying science. They're denying that there really is a virus. They're calling the virus a hoax, some of these people. Um, they're not, in my opinion, demonstrating our inalienable rights and personal responsibility properly. Um, but – we're going to start seeing more of these kinds of people snapping, um, whether they're protesters, whether they're surfers, whether there are just regular people that want to go to the beach, especially during these hot days. They just want to cool off. They want their San Diego lifestyle back. It's the way they've always lived their life. They want to do it in a responsible fashion, but they're not even being allowed to do that because there are police officers at some of these beaches arresting people putting people in handcuffs. And you're thinking, what? We have entered like the twilight zone here. It's like a dystopian movie. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to extend much further. And, and here's a tweet from Matt Kibbe, um, which I thought was really good. And Matt Kibbe is a – he's a – I think he has a podcast that's very popular now that I'm recalling. And he's a big liberty guy. He's His philosophy very much aligned with mine. And he says – are we stuck in a perpetual, devastating lockdown simply because the politicians who locked us down, not wanting to be accused of failing to act decisively to keep us safe, still have no exit strategy that cannot 100 percent guarantee that they won't be blamed for what happens next? And I do think there's a great deal of truth to this is that. These politicians want to be sure that they are not the ones that are going to be blamed 
Now, I'm not talking about President Trump because he doesn't seem to care about that. Um, but I'm talking about a lot of our local officials at the state level, the county level, in many cases, city levels. They're sort of covering their ass to a great degree, um, not wanting to be blamed, effect- effectively swinging the pendulum, in my opinion, too far. Because I think there are ways that we can make this work if we do it responsibly. Now, is this going to continue, this shelter in place? You know, they're already saying we get into the fall, the virus is going to probably come back. I mean, Dr. Fauci has been saying that. And he's probably right. Um, This virus isn't going to just go away. It's going to be around. People are going to get it. And it's going to work its way through the population. You know, we're trying to slow it down, but I don't think there's any way we could stop it. So it's going to come back. But as long as it exists out there as a threat, as long as it exists as a risk, does that mean that our rights need to be continuously curtailed? Um, it's the same notion of people wanting to be safe and in order – in being safe, they want to give up their rights. But in many cases, what's happening is in order to be safe, they want to give up their rights. And what does that do? That empowers the authorities and little by little, we lose out on our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This doesn't need to be an either or. We don't need to open up the economy like the wild, wild west and behave irresponsibly and people are going to die. That's not one of the options. And the other option isn't we should shut down the economy so we can save lives and the economy is going to die You know, it doesn't need to be those two extremes. There is a middle path here where we can still respect the rights of others. We can still, government can play its proper role to secure our inalienable rights. And just as long as we're behaving responsibly, because that's what our inalienable rights are largely about, personal responsibility, because we cannot violate the rights of other people. That's the personal responsibility part of this. So we can open up parts of the economy. We can open up parks. We can open up beaches. And as long as people are being responsible, then what's the problem? Okay. As long as people are practicing social distancing, as long as people are wearing masks, as long as people are being aware of their neighbor, not putting their neighbor in harm's way, then we should be able to open up our society back to what it used to be. Now, if we are in a situation where there are lots of infected people running around that are that are know they're infected and they're going out getting other people infected, then that's irresponsible. Those people need to be quarantined. Those people need to essentially be coerced because they are a threat. They are out to violate the rights of others. But as long as we are going through our own life, we are not we are not infected. You now granted I know a lot of people are infected but don't show signs. But still, it's almost like we are guilty until proven innocent. And our society is supposed to work the other way, innocent until proven guilty. So I just worry that we have lost sight of what makes America special, our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, the way that I characterize this is, is that 
our rights are like bubbles floating in the air. And each of us has our own zone and we, no one can violate our rights. But in the space in between is where we have the freedom, the liberty to live our life according to our own values. We need to get back to that. That means we need to allow business owners to open up their business. We need to allow people that want to work to go back to work but just do it in a responsible fashion. So we have companies right now that are deemed essential companies and they're doing a great job of being safe, being responsible. I mean, one of my clients is a essential business, Um, but at their place of business, they've got the plastic um, guards, you know, in between the cashier and the person walking up to the register, like a sneeze guard, essentially. Workers are wearing masks and gloves. Customers are wearing masks. Customers are practicing social distancing. We can do this responsibly, folks. Now, are there going to be a couple of bad apples that are going to violate it? Yeah, but we deal with them on, on, on their own basis. We don't let those bad apples ruin it for the rest of the bunch. So don't be surprised if the Bay Area extends this shelter in place, not just till the end of the May. I, I think it's going to go further than that. And as long as this shelter in place is extended, I mean, I think we're not going to see sports. I mean, I don't think we're going to see baseball at all. Baseball, they're hoping, is going to come back in 2020. I saw a letter or an article today. They're hoping to get in 120 games in the 2020 season, maybe without fans. I'm thinking, how are you going to do it? Because if this shelter-in-place continues further, even if the ball players could do it responsibly— even if they could do it with no fans, even if they can do it with social distancing to the greatest degree possible, I just think the the pressure from politicians to shut them down, to not be an example that will encourage others to break out of shelter in place, I think that's going to be enough to prevent Major League Baseball from actually opening up their season at all in 2020. I think in order for Major League Baseball to be politically correct, they're going to have to shut down the season the whole way. And then we'll see what happens with the NFL in the fall. If the virus comes back in the fall, like Dr. Fauci said, I don't know, does the NFL not resume? I think that's likely if you see the way our culture is set up and the way society is set up. So, yeah, I think our inalienable rights are getting flattened. Um, and I don't. I think there is a middle ground where we can protect the health of others, be respectful to other people, but still allow us to be free, to still allow us to have the liberty to do business, to still allow us to have the liberty to do business with so-called non-essential businesses. I mean, by the way, how in the heck does government get to say what's essential and what's non-essential? This is what I always get to with government always want to pick winners and losers. And um, this is way beyond the scope, in my opinion, of the role of government, determining which businesses should be allowed to operate, which ones must be shut down. I mean, it's, it's, it's way beyond the boundary, in my opinion. Um, 
But, you know, now we're hearing uh, now now we're hearing more about this universal basic income. And we've talked about Andrew Yang and his his um, platform when he was running for president and universal basic income. A thousand dollars a month was a big part of his campaign. But now you're starting to hear a lot more of that um, as we're going through this pandemic, the shelter in place, people out of work. Um in fact, actually, Andrew Yang's profile has, has greatly risen um, as a result of all this. But now Nancy Pelosi, our Speaker of the House, is talking about it. And this is an article in CNNBC, and I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Monday that Congress may need to consider a guaranteed minimum income for Americans as one way to meet people's basic needs while the country remains paralyzed by the coronavirus pandemic. Let's see what works. What is operational? What needs attention? The California Democrat said in an interview with MSNBC. Others have suggested a minimum income, a guaranteed income for people. Is that worthy of attention now? Perhaps so, because there are many more people than just than just in small business and hired by small business that may need some assistance as well. And the article goes on to say, in one of the last policy speeches of his 2020 presidential campaign, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders proposed in mid-March that Congress give every household in America $2,000 a month for the duration of the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, see, it's 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 just one after the other. I mean, that there there are handouts to this group. And if you do handouts to this group, you got to give handouts to that group. The whole thing has just become a mess. I mean, we're going into huge debt, creating this massive burden on not just the taxpayers of today, but our, our, our children, our grandchildren, the burden they're going to have to carry is going to be significant. And at the same time, we're, we're creating this huge risk of potential inflation because of this massive, um, essentially flooding the marketplace with money. Because when they flood the marketplace with money, they're essentially devaluing the dollar. So there's huge impact to this. Um, and I'm not just talking about the potential of universal basic income. I'm talking about all the liquidity that the Fed has been doing into the stock market, all these bailouts of large corporations. I mean, it's just nuts. And it it gets to the point. I mean, the funny story is, is remember when Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were on the stage during the Democratic debates and they wanted to do Medicare for all. And everyone's like, how are you going to pay for that? And they were challenging on them and they're saying, no way, that's too expensive. No, you'll never we'll never be able to afford it. And then right now, you know, it's like we're just blowing out millions of dollars, excuse me, trillions of dollars are being created out of thin air um, like it's nothing. And so I'm no supporter of Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, but I'm kind of feeling their pain. I mean, like they're probably going, what the hell? I told you that we can figure out a way to come up with the money because they they want to do the same thing. They they would just figure out a way to come up with it. But in the end, the money has to come from somebody else. So then it creates this system of all these perverse incentives. So whether or not you agree or disagree with the policy of all these bailouts – You'd be a fool to turn it down, especially when the economy is going south. And that's kind of where I line up. I'm a small business owner. I mean, a tiny business owner, really. It's just me and then one other employee who doesn't do a whole lot of work for me. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm playing the game. So I, I applied with the um, – I think it's called the Emergency 
what is the one, the SBA program that they had? It's, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's an emergency program for disaster relief. And um, I, I got a couple of thousand dollars from that. It was just deposited into my bank account um, for my business. And it's basically to help pay for payroll for myself and my other employee. And that's helpful. Um, but I would be a fool to turn that down because, I mean, as much as I pay in taxes, getting some of my money back is to my advantage. These, that's why all these perverse incentives are just kind of crazy. And now with the, um, the, pay, the Paycheck Protection uh, Program, that's the other one that's, that, you know, they, they allocated all this money. They ran out of money. I think I've talked about how I applied for Wells Fargo. You know, they, they opened up the application process on a Friday night, probably about two weeks ago. Maybe it was three weeks ago. And I ended up applying the following Monday, like the next business day, but it was like three calendar days later. And by then the system was shut down and they said, we are not taking any more applications um, because it was just the server was flooded over the weekend. And so I've been like, trying to play this game. And I finally got my application in with Wells Fargo for the Paycheck Protection Program. Am I going to see some funding from that? I don't know. But I know that all these other big businesses that, you know, this this program was intended for small businesses. These other big businesses are cashing in on it. And some of them have been caught red-handed, like Ruth's, Ruth's Chris Takehouse was caught having taken money. And they were probably doing the same thing. They're playing the game. And they were saying, hey, what kind of way can we you know, maximize our own um, cash position from this? And you can't blame them. I mean, when everyone's handing out money, you know, they're going to find out a way to take advantage of that opportunity. And they ended up getting the money. I think they got $10 million, And then they were caught, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And they ended up, you know, essentially realizing the damage to their brand was far greater than the $10 million they received. So they returned the money. But now I just saw reports today that the Los Angeles Lakers got money from the Paycheck Protection Program. I mean, this is they've got LeBron James on their pay- payroll. This is not a small business. Um, they they ended up um, getting money from this and they got, you know, shamed. And now they've given back the money. Um so it's all these crazy, perverse incentives. But if you're in business, you'd be a fool to turn it down if you're eligible for it. And, and that's so that's what I'm doing. And it feels odd. I mean, I don't I don't support the program at all. But then I've got to do what's in my best interests. But then on the other hand, the government, the central planners are the ones that are shutting down people's businesses. It's not like. The economy went into a recession for a variety of other reasons. This is cases where central planners, authorities have told certain businesses, you must close. You must temporarily shut your doors. If that happens, you've got to think, well, those people deserve compensation, right? But the whole thing just becomes cyclical because it's all of our own money that we've been paying into this, plus the money that they're creating out of thin air. I mean, the whole thing is just it's just almost hard to explain, but this is going to do just huge damage to our economy as we're coming through this. And that's why I said we have to have a sense of proportion. When we were going through the beginning of this COVID crisis, there were people saying we're going to have a million, two million people that are going to die from this. Well, the trajectories are nowhere near that. So we, we've been flattening the curve but now, like we said, the goalposts have shifted as we're going through this. So, 
you know, if they do a universal basic income, and this was one of my critiques of Andrew Yang and his policy, is that it's never going to be enough. You know, and Yang wanted to do a thousand a month, but we already know like the twelve hundred dollars that the federal government was able to pay some people through this stimulus program in California, that doesn't even cover a month's you know rent and for many people. Um, it's never going to be enough. And if they're getting $1,000 uh, per month, they're going to want $1,500. they are going to want 2000 And there's always going to be politicians that are going to want to give it to them in exchange for votes. And this is one of those things that if we go into a universal basic income program, there's no way to turn that off because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a demand of people and it's going to continue to grow. And we're all going to end up paying for it um, along the way. And there'll be winners and there will be losers as we go through this. But it's just there's the 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 destruction of parts of our economy is just unbelievable as we're going through this. You know, I think in the beginning, we're like, yeah, you know, we can shelter in place for a while. We can work together to fight the good fight. But at some point, you go, wait a minute. I mean, you're going too far. And I think that's what we're experiencing now. So – um, before I get to a couple more topics, I want a big shout out to our sponsor, PowayStore.com. You know, I live in Poway. Maybe you're watching this podcast, listening to the podcast. Maybe you live in Poway or maybe you have a loved one that lives in Poway. PowayStore.com has all kinds of great Poway merchandise, T-shirts, um, coffee mugs. Um, they even have um, these these uh, masks that, you know, they're called neck gaiters, but you can pull it up over your nose and you see people wearing them around town. The, there's these masks that have a picture of Lake Poway or of Iron Mountain on them. So they got some great stuff there. They just released a new T-shirt for Twin Peaks. Uh, so celebrating Twin Peaks in Poway, California. So check out Poway Store. Dot com, get on their mailing list and learn about some of their new offerings and opportunities. Okay, so now let's go back into what's happening with, again, the policies that are coming from the government as we're going through this COVID crisis. People now are earning more money to not work than they did when they worked in the first place. I mean, this is incredible. Some people are earning more in unemployment benefits than they did while collecting a paycheck. According to reports, so this is an article from Business Insider, the federal government pays $600 per week in unemployment benefits in addition to the benefits paid out by states. Um, according to a, an attorney for the Times Union, many businesses have employees coming in and saying, can you please furlough me? It's creating a major problem for these companies that are in limbo. Employees are begging to be laid off. Um, so Sky Marietta uh, told NPR that she had to close her Harrion, Kentucky coffee shop because her employees can earn more in unemployment than they would serving coffee for 10 to $15 an hour. We basically have a situation where it would be a logical choice for a lot of people to be, uh, to be unemployed. And these are hardworking individuals, she added, but literally this is the best possible pay of their lives they could possibly get to be unemployed. So again, perverse incentives, incentives all out of whack, people getting paid to not work and making more money than they did while they were working. Again, you would be a fool not to take advantage of that opportunity if it benefited you. Um, but again, 
when someone is collecting money on unemployment and not working, well, someone else is paying for that. And so it creates, again, more of these distortions. Um, and then when people are able to earn more money to not work than they did to work, what do you think it's going to take for them to go back to work? They're not going to want to go back to work. They're going to say the hell with this. And what most likely is going to happen is this policy will just continue on and on and on. And it's going to put a burden on other people, other taxpayers today, or a burden on future generations as this nation sinks deeper and deeper into debt. So it's like we're entering bizarro world as we're going through this COVID crisis. Um, it's like we've We've become we we went we wanted to go through this very rationally, looking at the science, looking at the data. And yeah, the, the medical professionals I think are doing that. But the way the politicians are handling the economy, way the central planners are central planning, they've become irrational. They have gone too far as we're going through this. So how are we going to get out of this? Well, certainly we have an election coming up in November. So no doubt Joe Biden or Donald Trump is going to save us, right? Right? I mean, do you think either one of these guys is going to be able to solve the problem? Have you seen these guys and what they're doing? I mean, you've got one senile bumbling idiot and another senile bumbling idiot. I mean, look at this Trump and, and what came out of that press conference last week is unbelievable. This whole notion about disinfectant and everything else, you know, then this has been spun and distorted by the media in so many different ways, where now people think that President Trump was telling people to drink Clorox bleach or something, which obviously he didn't say that. Um, people thought President Trump was telling people to inject disinfectant into their bodies. He didn't say that. But what he did say was insane. And so I want to actually repeat the real words that he said when he was at the press conference briefing at the White House. Trump said a question that probably some of you were thinking um, of if, if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposedly we hit the body with a tremendous whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And he was talking and, he, and while he was doing this, um, what's her name? Is it Dr. Burks was sitting off to the side um, of, against the wall in the press briefing room. And Donald Trump was sort of talking to her about this. And you could tell she didn't want to look him in the eye. She didn't want to smile and nod in agreement. She was just flabbergasted by it all. And then he goes on to say, and then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or in some other way. And then he says to Brian, and I think um, you said you're going to test that too. Sounds interesting, right? And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning? Because you see, it gets in the lungs and it does a tremendous number on the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills in one minute, that's pretty powerful. I'm just like, OK, now. 
is there a light solution, um, you know, that can help, uh, you know, kill the virus or help people you know, overcome this disease? Is there a disinfectant or some other, um, you know, uh, medicine that can be put into the body through IVs or something? And there might be. I don't know. But this is – he's spitballing here. He's throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing what sticks. This is something you do in private and close doors with other people and you brainstorm and you discuss it and you work it out. So people are all on the same page. So people are um, coming out of that meeting with a common plan. And then when you go in front of the press, you present your plan, you do it from a position of authority, a position of um, leadership and strength and not creating doubt and fear and uncertainty in the minds of other people. But Trump is up there at the podium just spitballing. Hey, we could try this. Maybe we should do that. What do you think? And Like a president of the United States should not be doing this. It's insane what he's doing. So later Trump clarified his comments after a reporter asked Brian whether disinfectants could actually be injected into COVID-19 patients. And Trump said – it wouldn't be through injections, almost cleaning and sterilizing of an area. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. But it certainly has a big effect if it's on a stationary object. So I think he's thinking about spraying Lysol on a table and killing the virus. So, I mean, this is insane for a president to be saying um, because it, it's so unstable. Now, he says he's a, he's a stable genius, Right. This is instability, what we're hearing from our president here. And I'm quoting his exact words. I'm not trying to spin it or take it out of context. This is not something a leader of the free world, and I'll put free world in quotes because it's not free, but the leader of the free world should not be doing this, should not be, you know, just sort of winging it up there on the podium because this BS comes out of his mouth. And then he was later challenged on it. And he goes, oh, I was being sarcastic. No, you weren't. You weren't being sarcastic. You're a con man. Now you're trying to cover up for what you said. And so now, you know, his officials are saying, well, maybe we shouldn't do as many of these press briefings because they're trying to contain Trump. But Trump was using these press briefings in, in as a substitute because he couldn't do his rallies. And he was using them as an opportunity to joust with the press and trying to score points to fire up his base. But he just gets so cavalier up there. He starts spewing this nonsense and creating all kinds of disruption and hysteria. Now, granted, that is his MO. He's all about creating chaos wherever he goes. But sometimes you wonder, is it intended or unintended? And in this case, I mean, to me, it was almost like an act of being senile as he was going through it. And so now he came out today and he said, um, Trump says he takes no responsibility for any spike in people using disinfectants improperly, because apparently there were a few cases of that where people were actually injecting themselves. And and he's like, I don't take any responsibility for it. And you're thinking, oh, man, I mean, Harry Truman, you know, the buck stops here. I mean, Harry Truman is rolling in his grave. A president never should say, I take no responsibility. That There's another way to handle that as a president rather than just saying, I'm not responsible. Um, whether or not he's responsible or not for the stupid things that other people do, 
you still don't say I'm not responsible. That's not leadership. You 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 can finesse that answer in a different way. But um, it's just unbelievable um, what we're seeing from him. And you're thinking, well, yeah, he's a senile, you know, bumbling, um, you know, fool up there. But then what about the other senile bumbling fool? There's Biden. And excuse me. And then Biden is now in the midst of this accusation of sexual assault. This uh, woman, Tara Reid, has come forward and and, you know, making all these accusations of, of Joe Biden. And now you're getting to the point of like, which accused rapist do you prefer? <laughs> the accused rapist of the Democratic Party or the accused rapist of the Republican Party? I mean, it's unbelievable. And then then you think about this in terms of um, the whole Me Too movement, because now now when you know, when 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 uh Joe Biden is being accused of these sexual assaults. I mean, of course, the Republicans and all of the conservative media are, you know, in a frenzy talking about it. But all the, the not all, but many Democrats um, are like sort of looking the other way, like, oh, we don't believe her. It's just one person. Oh, it happened a long time ago. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, roll the clock back to like 2017 when we were in the heat of the Me Too movement, the the Harvey Weinstein, the the Bill Cosby, the um, who else? Uh, the guy from Game of Cards, uh, Kevin Spacey. Um, uh, I mean, there was a whole. I mean, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh. There was a long list of of these men that were accused of these terrible cases of sexual assault, and. They should have been held accountable, and many of them were. Some of them got off. They should be held accountable. I'm not dismissing that at all. But what I am saying is that during that time frame, the message from the Me Too movement was always, believe the woman. If she says that she was assaulted, we must believe her. And at the time, you couldn't really question that because if you were to say, I, I don't know if we should believe someone without evidence – if you were to bring that up, you know, in 2017, especially someone like me, like, you know, here I am, a, a, a white male with gray hair, they would have said, you know, privilege and and, uh, you know, patriarchy and misogyny. And there would have been all sorts of ugly you know, epitaphs thrown my way. But now when supporters of Joe Biden see Tara Reid make similar accusations, they're like, well, we don't really believe her. Uh, well, you know, it happened a long time ago. Why didn't she bring it up then? You know, it's almost like they're blaming the victim, which they say they should never do. So it's like this hypocrisy in this whole thing. It's just unbelievable. Um, and and so I think at least I've had some conversations with some Democrats. And I, I think what's good is they're kind of coming to the realization of what we should be. We shouldn't just believe people um, without really investigating the evidence. Um, we shouldn't take them at their word. Um, we should do our due diligence, research the issue. If someone makes an accusation of sexual assault, you can't take that lightly. You've got to investigate it, especially if it's a, a person who's potentially going to be the next president of the United States. Now, the other crazy thing is, is that in the 2016 election cycle, President Trump was on a 
bus with Billy Bush talking about his experiences committing sexual assault. And he still got elected, which is just insane. And by the way, elected by many of the people that were so angry with President Clinton for his um, sexual escapades while he was in the White House. So it's it's crazy. This whole thing is just nuts. And so you, you think, are either of these guys going to save us? Is it going to be Biden? Is it going to be Trump? How We can't put our faith into either one of these guys to, to guide this nation through this crisis. Um, they're incompetent in so many ways. So now, like, I, you know, I've talked about Justin Amash. I'm very hopeful that he's going to jump into this race. Many people think he could win the Libertarian nomination. They're already on the ballot in at least 35 states. And and by the way, they can't get on the other states, all of them, because they have to get signatures to get on the ballot, which, by the way, things Republicans and Democrats don't need to get signatures to the, the same degree as third parties to get on the ballot. But how do you do a signature drive during a pandemic when you're told to stay at home and businesses are shut down? So third parties are getting screwed again. But um, Justin Amash, I, I'm hopeful he's going to he's going to run. And, and you know, Justin Amash, the the congressman from Michigan, the former Republican who declared his in, in, independence from the Republican Party, the only independent in Congress right now, I think hmm. uh, there's an independent in Maine. But I think that's a senator. Um, and then, of course, Bernie Sanders, technically independent. But um, Justin Amash, who called out President Trump, said that he should be impeached, um, which took a great amount of bravery to do that. Um, I'm a big fan of Justin Amash. We should do I've talked about him to a great deal, but I'm hoping he jumps in the race. So we have a good alternative because if we're I mean, I don't want to have to pick between two accused rapists. And I hope you don't want to have to make that choice either. But you know who else is jumping in this race potentially is Jesse Ventura. Jesse the body Ventura, the former governor of the state of Minnesota, the former um, Navy SEAL, the former um, champion world wrestling uh, federation guy. Um, it would be something if Jesse Ventura got into this race. You know, Jesse Ventura, I, I, it's funny it's because President Trump in many ways mimics what happens in the world of wrestling. It's that flamboyance, that showboating, that big talking that, you know, he hung out with Vince McMahon, who, you know, basically started or I mean, he didn't start it, but he, he runs the world wrestling. It's not the F Federation. It's world wrestling E, I think entertainment, but he runs that is actually his wife, I think is on the cabinet or is she an ambassador somewhere? Uh, his wife is uh, very much uh, involved with the Trump uh, campaign, Vince McMahon's. But Trump learned a great deal from Vince McMahon and learned a great deal from the wrestlers and how to play to the crowd. And, and he's been very good at that. I mean, that's one of the things that Trump is very skilled at, but Ventura, can do it better than President Trump. Imagine Jesse Ventura on on the stage. Jesse Ventura, there, there's there's a lot to like, maybe some things to dislike too with him. But boy, he would be something in the race too. But my God, when we get in October and we have the presidential debates with the Republican and Democratic nominees, we've got to have more than two podiums. We've got to have more than two choices because we can't put our faith 
in Joe Biden. We can't put our faith into another four years of Donald Trump. These choices are they're they're going to sink us. Um, we have to have an alternative. So, um, yeah, my gosh. So what else? Um, I want to introduce another one of our sponsors. You know, the John Raleigh Project, we're kind of rolling. We've got some new sponsors. Happiness76.com. Go out to happiness76.com. This is a, an e-commerce store that celebrates our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They've got shirts and mugs and all kinds of great stuff there, really embracing what America is all about, our founding values. So go check out happiness76.com. Sign up for their mailing list. You know, happiness76, it's like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was in the Declaration of Independence in 1776. So happiness76.com, really happy to have them on as a new sponsor for the John Riley Project. Um, all right, man, we're we're almost an hour in, but hey, I hope you want to maybe continue the conversation. Reach out to me on social media. Tell me what you think. If you like what we're talking about, what we're not talking about, let me know. I got a great closing quote. And it's from Milton Friedman, Uh, Milton Friedman, the Nobel winning economist, you know, the author of the book Free to Choose. I mean, I'm a I'm a big Milton Friedman fan. And, you know, we're talking about all these stimulus packages and the universal basic income and all these bailouts. And Milton Friedman so perfectly and succinctly said nothing is as permanent as a temporary government program. And he's right. If you turn on a UBI program, you're never going to be able to turn it off. If you create a plan where people can earn more money staying at home than actually working, you're never going to be able to turn that off. So a temporary plan from the government, it's going to become permanent. You can count on it. And we're going to continue to sink deeper and deeper into debt, undermining the strength of this nation. And it's a damn shame. It really is. And if we want to keep going down that path, keep voting for Republicans and Democrats, and you'll keep getting the same thing. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? That's where we are. That's why we have to embrace independent candidates, third-party candidates. We need a new way because the way we're being told doesn't make sense. So with that, I conclude. This is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 130. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe if you can on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Even if you're watching on YouTube, click on that subscribe button. Click on that bell that'll tell you when we have new episodes. Thanks for being here for us, and we'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.